Welcome to AUCD Network Narratives, where we share real stories from our members. I'm your host, J.D. Flores, Advocacy Specialist at the Strong Center for Developmental Disabilities and the co-chair for the Council on Leadership and Advocacy. Join us as we hear from inspiring leaders within our network working to make a change. are here today with Timotheus Gordon, who is an African-American male autistic research associate at the University of Illinois at Chicago Institute on Disability and Human Development. He is also one of the co-founders of the Chicago Land Disabled People of Color Coalition. We are also here with J.C. Farkas, who is an assistant director at the Sonoran Center for Excellence and Disabilities at the University of Arizona and the USED training director. She is a USED trainee alum and has been with the center for 15 years. She is also the chair of AUCD's Multicultural Council. Welcome, y'all. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. JC, my first question is for you. Where did the motivation kind of come from for it? It kind of came about with conversations between AUCD staff, multicultural council uh, representatives, and, and even the board, and just how important it is that we are truly being inclusive and thinking about the many ways people identify themselves, the intersections that people might have with disability, race, ethnicity, and other cultural factors, social identities. And not only do we need to be kind of walking the talk, so to speak, but if we're going to be looking towards growing diverse and skilled leaders and modeling diversity, equity, inclusion, as it relates to people with development and other disabilities, we need to have some real conversation of what that's looking like within our network. What are we doing? How are we pushing some of these things forward? And so I'm really excited about this podcast and this season to hear about the work people are doing across the network, what they're learning from their experiences that they've had, and even more importantly, how we can really be centering the voices of disabled people of color. And so I'm super excited, JD, that you're the host and that I'm here with Timotheus. And I'd love to hear some of his thoughts too about the podcast. So Timotheus, in the spirit of everything that JC has just said, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? It's been a long journey to be honest. It's been like, I think they call it the road less traveled, but indeed it is because I started out undergraduate school where I was becoming more comfortable with knowing about my disability, which is autism, and also connecting with the disability community. So I became a disability advocate, just learning more about accommodations and disability culture in general. But as far as being an advocate for myself and others and research road, that wasn't really until uh, 2015. When I finished my uh, master's degree in Atlanta and I came back home in Chicago, that's when I started to connect with more self-advocates who not only want to um, get bills passed that could benefit uh, the disability community, but also create a vibrant community for uh, disabled people of color. And so how I got into researching in particular and advocating from the higher education level is just a ch- happens in a chance meeting with um, UIC professors. And 
a colleague was just encouraging us to go, go ahead, talk to them. And so I talked to them about my um, work in advocacy and my writing. And eventually I got to go to UIC to pursue my master's in um, science. And essentially that's how I became a researcher. So now as a researcher, I am not only looking into information that benefits um, disabled people of color in particularly, but also translating that information to something that we all can understand. And I think that's been a fun journey in like translating information and connecting with people from many levels. I've been in the network now for 15 years and I mean, I've definitely seen a difference and a growth from when I first joined and my very first conference I attended in Washington, D.C. versus now. I mean, for one, there weren't as many trainees that used to come. I came as staff in a dual role as staff and trainee when at my first conference, but there weren't as many and you didn't see as many people of color at the conference. And it was predominantly white, predominantly older folks at that conference. There have been some real concerted efforts, you know, over the last five years, well, five, I would say five to eight years where, you know, changes for the board to have more representation, real advocacy, both with from the Multicultural Council and others across the network to not only increase diversity of our staff and trainees, but that that was also being supported and seeing that in person when we came together. Because I remember my first one, I felt I like if I'm going to be real here, like I I didn't know I didn't know anybody other than the people at my own center, <laughs> and very few of us came and. I was kind of there also in a data coordinator role and trying to kind of mingle and meet people. But I felt like a fish out of water, both as a woman of color and that I was new to this field. I came to this work very, you know, by happenstance. My other background and things I'd been studying had nothing to do with disability. And it was me coming to the USED, both as really looking for a job while I was working on my master's and that I end up really becoming passionate about the work. And a lot of that had to do with me learning and understanding and seeing disability as a social justice issue, but as a person of color. And while I don't don't have the lived experience of disability, like I could see that like the disparities and kind of what happens for those who have a disability and also from another marginalized group and people of color, like what those outcomes were looking like. And that ultimately is what led me to stay in this field 15 years later. So my whole disability, like working with the disability community and in the field has been the entire time of me being tied to this network. And so I'm so happy to the growth that I've seen, but it doesn't mean the work is done. I want to continue to see more people of color in leadership roles. I want to see disabled people of color in leadership roles across our network. And I think we're we're continuing to head in that direction. And I'm really excited about the focus we really had as a network on defining what equity means in this disability space for us 
and how as a network we can really push the needle on that. And I feel like these conversations we're having through this podcast will help to spur that and feel for folks in their individual centers to not feel like they're alone and that others are also working through this and trying to do better. You made me think about the first time I went to DPS because I I didn't get to go to AUCD until I was like at UCID staff. Our LEND program would only take our fellows to DPS and I'm not into research. Like that's not what I do. I, I work in advocacy. So I didn't, you know, get to go to AUCD until I worked for the UCID. And my first DPS, it was me. And I still wasn't sure if I was doing the right thing in, in our LEND program because there is no like set like, oh, these are all the things that you hit. Like, you know, every LEND program is unique. It was a lot of white folks. And this one lady, she stood up and she asked them, she was like, what are you going to do to get more black and brown people in the room? And like, no one took her serious. And she was so upset. And she like left the rest of the conference. Like I didn't see her the rest of the time there. And then, you know, getting to grow within the network and meeting more people, you start to learn that some of your experience is not just you. Like they, like you just said, JC, like there are other people like you, but it's taken a really long time for me to get there. So you, I've only been around for like maybe five or six years. When we look at our centers and we look at how they're made up, what kind of opportunities can we create for folks who may not necessarily know that they have a space here, right? Like you said, you came into this, JC, and you didn't have any experience in disability. So how was that process for you as you grew and, and then your center created a space for you to thrive? And Timotheus, it kind of sounded like your center created a space for you to thrive too. So how do we now pay it forward? Luckily, I glad you all mentioned paying it forward and uh, how you says can create opportunities for people of color and especially people of color with disabilities to not only participate in what's going on in UCED, but also have a strong voice and contribution to the UCED. My UCED, which is uh, the Institute on Disability and Human Development at UIC, gave myself and a colleague of mine a great opportunity to um, reach out to disabled people of color. We under their um, support and blessing, we created a group called the Chicagoland Disabled People of Color Coalition, where we gather disabled people of color throughout the Chicagoland area, including within city limits, to not only have the safe space to be existed and to find comfort and to connect with their peers, but to also learn more about their disability pride, their intersectional disability pride, I should say, and create campaigns that addresses some of the issues that we face in our communities as well. So that's one example of creating a space for the community to not only connect but also to uh, thrive and support and be a focal point of um, providing the service. I think also in my experience, Andy, you said just have the opportunity to connect with you all, connecting with people of color or people with disabilities or people in the um, LGBT plus community. The connection alone has been valuable for me. 
with bringing in more voices, with training more people to be in our fields will help us a lot in like strengthening um, the outreach and strengthening what we could bring to our communities surrounding our um, ESETs. Timotheus, I completely agree with you. And kind of along the same lines, I think by the nature of what all of our centers are, right, we're in universities and there's this struggle and tension to even if those in leadership and within the center have the right intention, they're trying to make it work and it's maybe within the center, it's the infrastructure and the mindset of a university (laughs) isn't set up to necessarily support exactly what you're talking about, Timotheus. And so finding out ways and working to really change the mindset and advocacy of the other parts of the university and their structures to make it easier to hire people with disabilities that may not have a degree, to hire family members and that's not just in maybe just an independent contractor type of situation or a small stipend, but like as actual staff. And finding creative ways to to do that and get the support within the university. And then to not become complacent. Like you got to find creative ways to make it happen, just even if the university isn't necessarily, if they're creating the barriers. You know, the other thing that kind of popped up in my, in my mind too is that, J.D., you asked about, okay, we define it. And then what's going to be that challenge or barrier? I would hope that people don't see like the end goal is the definition. You know, (laughs) that there's got to be like action and no complacency and continuing to look and find ways that we can keep pushing and we want real conversations, right? So I'm going to say one of the things we've all struggled with, even in the Multicultural Council, is that there's always a lot of talk and there's a lot of like, we can share some stories and for lack of maybe even commiserate or say what the issues are, but then like, what's the next step? Like, where's the action to it? How can we do more? I mean, telling the stories is important, but then what? And so I would hate for there to not, for there to be any kind of complacency. That would be kind of my fears. Like, okay, we've now defined it. So, and within our mission, so it's good, but it's like, how are we making sure it's operationalized? How are we making sure that people are utilizing the tools that folks are creating across the network, whether it's the diversity toolkit, the diversity, equity, inclusion action plan. But again, those are also just some guidelines. You've got to do more work to it than that too. Right. No, you are so making sense. I feel so at home in this conversation. I'm just trying to not say the wrong thing so I don't want to get fired because I feel like I teeter a line often because I very much so am the kind of person that's like, no, we talked about it now. So now it's time to do something. And I'm the person that will keep pushing like until we do something. I don't want to call myself aggressive as a woman of color. I don't think we should have those kind of words you know, attributed to us. So I'll say that I'm really passionate when people say, oh, well, we've done this. And now I'm like, okay, so now what? You know what I mean? And 
I think that Timotheus and JC, when you say like, okay, so I have a degree in sociology. What that really means is that I can tell you about yourself because that's what I learned. I can tell you why you bought your sneakers. You know, what really pushed you to pick that bread or whatever? Like, that's what they taught me to do. I'm not a researcher. You know, that's not my job. Like, that's not what I know how to do. And as just a person who came in as an advocate for our LEND program and then got hired to be faculty and then got hired on with our said pushing for advocacy to be respected for what it does and what it means and what it represents is really, really hard um, for folks who work in the academic realm. Because, you know, what I know is supported by facts by happenstance. I just got lucky that way. You know what I mean? It just is what it is. And so when we look at this network as a whole and we look at how advocates work and we look at things like equity and <laughs> Even if we use AUCD conference as a as an example, I've never been invited to present at AUCD. And I firmly believe it's because I don't have a PhD because <laughs> everything that I've pushed through has always been a poster. And not that I'm not grateful for having the opportunity to present as a poster because that's big. My family thinks it's important because I get to travel to Washington to talk about it. They might not understand what I'm presenting on, but they'll, you know, they'll get it. I get to do a poster. But how do we shift the narrative of how we look at folks and who is allowed to really speak and who is given this privilege to share their information and their knowledge and what they've learned and how they've grown, you know, it's time for us to take a look inside at the way our network works and how academia has shaped some of that. Academia is not the easiest place to exist when you're a person of color. If we look at Twitter on any given day, you can see someone uses some sort of hashtag to point out how racist and how uncomfortable and how not equitable the process of academia is. So when we look at our network and we think about all the things that we've done and all the growth that we've had, for you personally, what has that looked like? And, you know, what have your personal challenges kind of been to push through and to create the changes that you've created, right? Like JC, you run the Multicultural Council. And so there's been things and tough conversations that you've had to have within the last two years. But, you know, there's been some changes in the feel of the network because of some of the work that you've done and some of the work that other folks done in our network. So what are some of those personal challenges that you've kind of just had to push through so that you could stick within this network for 15 years? First of all, like when I started, I was an office assistant working half time while I was working on my master's. Right. And so I was like the bottom of the totem pole and we're a new center. So it was right at the very beginning of when that center, our center was created. And there have been times, I mean, where I feel like I'm the only, you know, I'm the only person of color that might be in the room. That's changed in the last several years where we've really made an effort to diversify our center. But, you know, there's times where you're, I also look really young where I didn't feel necessarily like, would I be taken seriously as a woman of color and a young person, whether I was out in the field and talking with people in the community or within our own institution, you know, you always feel like, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here a little bit, but <laughs> like you always feel like you've got to kind of have to sidestep and think about how is this going to be interpreted because of who's in the room? What kind of face do I have to put on today to make sure I get my point across and for it to be taken seriously? How can I have some of these different side conversations with different people to kind of have the support needed to move forward in an in, in initiative or something, right? That I couldn't necessarily just do that on my own to be taken seriously. And one of the things that, you know, I've been fortunate 
that through like joining the Multicultural Council early on and kind of connecting with some key people across the network. And I've been lucky to have such great mentorship to grow more in my agency and feel empowered to, you know, speak up and say something. But I was even within the last couple of years with everything that's been happening during the pandemic and with Black Lives Matter. And, you know, I, I didn't say this, but I'm African-American and Filipino. I have a black father. And so a lot of the stuff was hitting home really hard for me. And as the only person who is of black descent, like in my center, but I also don't present that way, it was like really hard and not knowing how to approach and say anything. And I was conflicted. I had to reach out to other people. How do I go about this? What do I say? I still have those insecurities myself. And a lot of work I I do for myself in this area to be confident and to feel like not only that I can say it and that I'm in the right for saying it, but not assuming that it won't be taken seriously. And that shouldn't be the barrier for me for speaking up for anything. And that's taken a long time for me to even get there, I would say. I mean, this is even stuff I've been dealing with for the last couple years, but still then making the effort to speak to leadership and to kind of step into that brave space because, you know, all somebody can do is say no. But if you don't try, nothing's going to happen, right? And I have to keep reminding myself that. What kind of advice would you give to someone of color in our network who is coming up the ranks and who is feeling like, you know, these are just some hard steps I need to take? You know, what kind of advice would you give to those who are just pushing through to get to, you know, that position either at the youth said, at the lend, or even just wanting to grow within our network? If anything, for anyone of color starting off in um, the AC. D network in any form, whether you're a um, land trainee or start out as a staff member or a student or a self advocate, I'll just go and say that uh, connections are very important. It's key. If you have any questions or if you're looking for someone to connect, and collaborate with, or you just want to hang out with somebody from the you said just to get to know the person and the you said, by all means, connect with people. I think the stronger your network, the further along you will get. And I think you will also have a more, I think things will be more smooth sailing. And to piggyback on what Timothy says, I'm going to put a shameless plug in. Join the Multicultural Council, whether you're a trainee, you're a staff member, um, because it's also a great place to network and build some of that community for yourself across the whole, you know, the AUCD network. Any of the other councils are great, too. And same with the SIGs. There's something I feel like for everybody. And I would say that take advantage of the opportunities that are out there. If you want to get involved, just do it reach out to somebody, go after that, you know, uh, opportunity, whether it's as an intern, a liaison, or some of the other things that come up from, from AUCD to be involved so that you get to know folks across the network as well that may have the same interests as you. Also wearing my data coordinators, having to say, look folks up in years or like go to the AUCD website and look on the directory. 
and find folks who have similar interests as you and reach out. You're part of the network. Someone will respond. There is so much power in that directory. People find me all the time. So I, <laughs> I, I am, if you need me, I'm there. I'm always surprised how they found me. And they'd be like, oh, we looked you up on that thing. I was like, oh, okay, cool. But <laughs> thank you so much, both of you, for being here with us. We really, truly appreciate your stories, your voice, your passions. And that's it. That's a wrap for our episode. Thank you for tuning in to AUCD Network Narratives. If this story has inspired you to make a change at your center or program, use the link in our show notes for resources and tools to help you lead on. We'd love to connect with you. So visit the AUCD website and click on the submit your story button at the top. We hope to hear from you soon.